Hi, I'm Chris Waddell. Every week we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. All right, welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast, where we talk with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community. Uh, today, we're with Ravi Durgan, who is on the U.S. ski team, on the U.S. adaptive ski team. And you know what? Let's let's start. I mean, this is such a weird time, right? I mean, it's a weird time to be an athlete, isn't it? And you just came from your first races of the year. You were in Winter Park. What was that like to go to your first races? How how different were things at Winter Park than they would have been in previous years? Oh, I want to say super exciting just to pull off the first race this year because we couldn't even tell you if it was going to happen a few weeks ago. But, um, you know, everything went pretty smooth. Um, being on the team, we have to take extra protocols as in getting tested and quarantining properly and keeping our distance from people and our teammates also. But um, I want to say once you're in the course and on the snow, nothing really changes there. So once you're in the starting gate, it feels a little more familiar, but just we can't even have our own coach in the starting gate with us. So there's a bunch of little things like that. And, you know, making sure you keep your mask on while you're up there doing your warm up and not fogging up your goggles and keeping a safe distance from the other athletes. But the hardest part is just the travel and the coordination and, you know, the hopes that everything happens and goes smoothly. And the uncertainty, I would imagine, right? The uncertainty you said that you didn't know if the race was going to happen. You don't know if you're going to have a world cup. Do you know what, qualification is going to be like getting getting ready to go to Beijing because Beijing is the is the big goal right 2022 yeah that's our big end goal so right now it's just you know focus on the tasks and the challenges we can focus on and work hard and hope for the best so and how about for you how are you skiing how are things how are things working out for you do you feel pretty good about it or yeah, being my second year on the team, it's, you know, I've got a lot better relationship with not only the coaches and the staff, but also the athletes and feeling a lot comfortable or a lot more comfortable with the team. And, you know, hoping we can make it over to Europe and pull some World Cup races off and really give myself a good challenge. So where, where are you in the in sort of the pecking order? Because you guys are always keeping keeping this in mind, right? And do you know what you have to do in order to qualify for the team? So I want to say just ski and work out and train as hard as I can is about all I can do. So, you know, the whole we haven't had a Paralympic team nominated yet necessarily, but um, we just want to stay focused on what we can fixed and what we can do better and keep skiing to the best of our abilities. And you don't know anything about criteria because usually going in, you have an idea of like, well, you have to be, you have to be ranked in this place in the world in order to, in order to make it, you, you don't have any of that stuff going on right now. No, we don't have any of that stuff. And it's been super hard because people in Europe have uh, had the opportunity to do a lot more races than we have here in the U S. So it's, I want to say it's a challenge this year to keep your world ranking up there. And um, hopefully we can. 
Wow. Now, what's how many people are on the team this year? Is it a big team or small team? Oh, you know, it's uh, I want to say a mid-sized team right now. We got about uh, four or three male sit skiers, and then we have uh, two stand-up women, one uh, female sit skier, and we got um, we got about four stand-up guys on the team right now. So, wow. So that's it. So it's so it's about fifteen people total. Yeah. And, you know, right off the bat, a few of them this year have had some injuries. So they haven't been on the snow with us or anything, which is always, you know, we definitely miss having them around, but injuries is, you know, something that comes with the sport we do. What's the, what's the dynamic like at the, at training camp? So you've had some training camps, right? You've been able to train with the team because a big part of it is like watching video afterwards where, you get, you know, you get video while you're on the hill, you come inside, you watch video. What is that like? Are you guys all able to be in sort of a small area or is it one-on-one with the coach or how have you been able to make that happen? It's much more one-on-one while keeping social distancing and wearing face coverings and all that. And, you know, trying to keep our distance and not be such a big group or lap together or share the chairlift together so much. So it's definitely adds another dynamic, but you know, all the way from having our own rooms where we are everywhere. Oh, wow. Okay. Nice. So with the, you said that you, you had winter park last week and then this week you have your park city coming up, you said, right? So that's the Huntsman cup. Who will, who will be there? What kind of competition are you, are you looking forward to? Oh, as a, as like in winter park, it's very much just the United States. And um, the Chilean team, which happens to train in Ware Park every season, so they've been joining us at the races too, but hasn't really been an option for other World Cup skiers from Europe and Japan and places like that to come over here and race with us. So it makes for quite a small field, which kind of puts a little more pressure on me because, you know, when you are ranked in one of the best in the field you're kind of expected to perform and there's no excuses not to so and and have you been performing did you perform the way that you wanted to or the way that they expected you to at winter park um i want to say i can always uh be more happy with my skiing or ski down the run and know i can do better but i was super happy with the slalom that happened i ended up being the overall fastest so beat all the other competitors that day but um, I skied down the run and I was like, had a few little mishaps and I knew I could have done lots better and still to come out with a time like that, I was super stoked. So it's good to ski really good and know you can do much better and you have the potential to. Is slalom, slalom really what you're looking at right now? Is slalom the event that you feel like is the linchpin for the rest of it or or? You know, what, what's your, what's the event that when you're skiing that event, well, you feel like you're skiing well in general? Um, I would say it's super G and slalom. Um, it's hard for me to find that mixture of slalom, you know, the technical and the speed and GS, but still having the fluidity and being smooth and fast and on the line you want in GS, but slalom reminds me the most of free skiing. So most similar to ripping through the trees or ripping down some bumps. So it gives me that opportunity to, you know, have a few mishaps, but you can make it up a little bit down the course. And being a little bit of a smaller guy in speed, it always kind of hurts me when there's some guys that have 100 pounds on me. Right, exactly. You don't have all the momentum going down the hill. 
are there people who are coming up that you're looking at that that are that are posing a greater competition right now? Like are there people making you nervous? Oh, I mean, the ones that really make me nervous are just all the guys over in Europe that have gotten a lot more time on snow and a lot more races under their belt this year. But the guys on the team, I've skied against them for a number of years now, and we all have a good relationship and are friends on and off the hills. So, you know, it's always competitive once we're at the race, but at the same time, it's, you know, they're your teammates and you want them to do just as well as you're doing. So it's good to share, you know, information and try to help everybody improve to be the best skier they can be. Well, that's the objective, right? Is to try to get to be the best skier you can be. What's, what, what do you need to do? Do you know, do you, what do you need to do in order to be really prepared for Beijing? I mean, cause you kind of have to take this on your own, right? I mean, there's the coaches are going to help you, but at the same time, what do you need to do? Cause you have a pretty decent idea of what, what goes into a good run, right? And so have you tweaked your program at all to, to, for your particular needs? Um, well, since being on the U.S. team, you know, we get a whole staff of nutrition, strength coach, sports psychologists. So they've all been helping. We all have a good game plan going, which we've been making improvements throughout last season and throughout this season. But the hardest thing for me is, you know, I want to say confidence when you're sitting in the start gate at a World Cup race or racing against the best guys in the world. I like to say to some people, when you're skiing, you feel it some days and some days you don't feel it. And some days you're skiing really good. And that's always a challenge for me to be sitting there in the start gate. You know, maybe we've been waiting a while for the race to start or trying to keep with our warm up and stay focused. But to really turn that on and be able to ski to your full potential right then and there. The confidence, confidence is always an interesting one, right? I mean, people always say, oh, well, you should just be confident. You're going to ski much better if you're confident. And it's like, okay, but it's not necessarily a light switch that you can turn off, on and off. Being aware of that, have you been able to, to build your confidence throughout the season, even though it's a bit of a sporadic season, right? Where you get some training, then you don't get any training. You go to Europe early on, you get called back. Uh, you might have races here. You might not have races there. You might not see the best guys in the world this year. How can you, how can you still go into next year and be confident without necessarily having the regular buildup? Um, well, for me, you know, just being able to go World Cups last year and seeing how the competition is there and knowing more what I'm getting myself into and then just from being stronger and fitter and, you know, some equipment changes here and there. But um, it's really just you should be able to take, you know, your free skiing and take that feeling right into the race course. So especially me, um, I haven't really alpine raced for as many years as yourself. But um, it's just uh, getting more miles under me, I want to say. So, yeah, with the whole COVID and everything and having that has been a big you know, something to overcome for sure. Being able to build that confidence in training and in free skiing and then be able to bring that confidence and be able to perform in the race, so. That's always the hardest part though. I mean, you should be able to take it from free skiing into racing, but the should part of it is, is often the weak part of that, of that sentence, right? You should be able to take it from, from free skiing into racing. 
do you approach your free skiing differently at all? Are you trying to challenge yourself in your free skiing in ways that will, you know, surprise yourself and, and will really get you to a position where you think, okay, you know, I might not have been able to do what I did before, but I've done a lot of really good things or I've done some things that I never thought I could do. Is that, is that how you're approaching it or, or how, how is your free skiing? Everybody's different. Um, you know, free skiing for me, I always try to find the most challenging runs on the hill and I want to be able to ski anything that anyone else is skiing. So the last couple of years, really focusing on Alpine racing, you know, maybe not going out on pal skis so much or big rockered skis, but actually going out on your race skis and continuing that feeling that we've been working on in our training and trying to actually mimic that in my free skiing more. And as I become a better racer, I want to say it improves my free skiing dramatically. So you're doing more, you're more on the groom then. So with your free skiing, you're more on the groomed, like making arcs, linking the arcs up. Is that, is that what you're working on these days? Yeah. And a lot of visualization too, visualizing a course in front of you compared to a lot of times when we free ski, we just turn for the feeling of it. And when you're sitting above a race course and you have a dictated turn shape with a dictated amount of turns, that's when it really comes challenging. Can I figure out the fastest way down this while all these other guys are trying to figure out the fastest way too? Yeah, it's so it, it, that, that to me is really interesting, just especially because when you're looking at it as a monoskier now, you guys are running last, aren't you in the Paralympics? We are. So last, so this is, this is triple digits across the chest kind of thing, which means that the course is pretty well beaten up by the time I've often thought that is particularly in slalom that, that it almost would make sense not to, not to run any courses, but to go out if, if you're preparing specifically for the Paralympics to go out and ski bumps, because that's effectively what you're going to ski, especially the games are in, in March. It's going to, I mean, who knows? I don't really know what the conditions will be like in, in Beijing, but looking at like Sochi where it was 60 degrees or whatever going on. And, uh, and so the snow turned pretty soft and soupy. So, so do you take that into consideration when you're looking at it? Like one, you want to make these great turns and you want to, you know, do the technical stuff, but then preparing for the specific conditions that you'll hit. It's almost, it's hard, right? I mean, it's hard even if you're training with the team, it's almost like, yeah, you guys go set up the course, you go run the course. And when you go in for lunch, then I'm going to go run the course. Cause that's the course that I'm going to see. No, I would completely agree with that. Just even, you know, the mono skiers running last, if I'm one of the fastest guys in my first run, then all of a sudden I'm really running last on my second run. And I've seen courses dramatically deteriorate. So I kind of look at when we're training, you know, with a smooth hill and only a few people as an opportunity to really work on, you know, dynamics of body position and turn shape and line choice. But you have to keep in mind that it doesn't always go as planned once you're in the course as maybe you inspected it. And I've always liked to challenge myself in all, all terrain, you know, being able to ski the worst terrain on the mountain and still make it look good and still be able to do it confidently. What's your favorite terrain? Do you have anything that, that's like your go-to? Oh, I would say trees and wherever the deepest snow is on the mountain would be, you know, my choice go-to. But 
I love ripping some mogul runs for sure. Groomers are actually my least favorite run to ski on. But um, once you're, you know, really challenging yourself with making proper turn shape and doing it dynamically, it can be just as challenging as anywhere else on the hill. Now, skiing, you're learning a lot of your skiing. I mean, you're learning a lot of your skiing in a lot of ways at the highest level. You're learning a lot of your skiing. You skied a bit before your accident, right? But not, not a ton. No, only a couple of three times and definitely, you know, on the green runs, you know, bunny slopes and maybe a couple of easy blue runs. But um, once I got in a mono ski, I started skiing all the terrain and my first few years learning to ski, just following my dad around. He grew up, learned to ski when he was two years old in Alaska and then continued to ski through college out in Colorado. And he always skied just to ski in the trees and get in the wilderness. So following him around, I've definitely had to, you know, improve my skills of skiing all terrain and being ready for any conditions, which I find really helps me in racing when the conditions do start to deteriorate. How did the, how did the beginning start? Did you just ski with your father or did you go to a program or, and, and maybe even take us back a little bit. I mean, how did you, how did you end up that you were skiing with the adaptive team? as opposed to an able-bodied team? Um, well, um, I was involved in a hit by a train is how I got in a wheelchair originally. So about three years after that, my dad had met up with a buddy from college and went skiing a couple of times. And he, we had known about adaptive skiers and seen mono skiers in the past, but it always sounded, you know, something almost impossible to do, sitting up in a chair on one ski and to be able to actually enjoy it. But um he wanted to get me on the hill and we uh, known about Oregon Adaptive Sports based out of Bend, Oregon. And so my mom wrote them a letter and they offered me a scholarship with a half day lesson and the use of equipment and went up for my first lesson actually at Hoodoo Ski and Recreation in Oregon on Santa Ann Pass and did one run down the bunny hill. It was a little too slow for me and did a few runs down some blue runs. And then by noon, my dad asked the instructor if we could keep skiing the rest of the day and go to the top of the mountain. And he said, I suppose, yeah, I think that's fine. And right off the bat, my dad took me into ungroomed in the trees, whiteout conditions and no clue what kind of run I'm on or if I should be skiing it or if it's safe or not. But just following him and trying to copy his turns or if it got too challenging, just looking at it one turn at a time. Yeah, that was my, that was my very first day. So I kind of got thrown right into skiing off piece and challenging conditions with my dad. Wow. So you were, so you were able to make turns. Were you able to make turns like on that very first run? Now I want to say nowhere near the turns I can make now. But, sure, right. but yeah, I was able to make turns and still to this day, I remember the very first day I skied with my dad and didn't fall at all. And I was like, oh, wow, I think I skied all day today and didn't crash and didn't fall. And now I have to be really challenging myself to fall. So, But hold on, was that the first day that you didn't fall at all? Or you remember a day later on that you didn't fall? Oh, remember that was probably my second year skiing. I remember the first day when I skied okay. with him and was like, oh, I didn't fall today. But no, I couldn't even pick myself back up out of the snow that first year. So it would just be, you know, skiing and falling until my dad would come rescue me. Well, especially when it's deep. And you have, I mean, some of it, some of the people who are listening, 
uh, are wondering because higher level injuries are are often it takes a little bit longer to find the balance, but but you are a double amputee, right? So so just above the knees. So you have you know one you have a smaller center of mass and your balance is considerably better than somebody who has a higher spinal cord injury. But still, it's absolutely amazing that you were able to do all of that in your very first day to get out there and ski with your dad and ski and ski and deep stuff. Because for a lot of people, that's something that takes years. And, and it might not ever happen for some people. So, so what's the, what are the challenges for you particularly? What have you found to be difficult? I've seen you do some air stuff. You're, you're really good in the air, but what are, what are the things that are, that are most difficult? Cause it's easy for somebody to say, oh, well, he's a double amputee skiing in a monoski. Like it should be easy for him, but what are the things that are really challenging for you? Well, me in particular, it would be icy race conditions, like an injected hill when we're, so that's one reason why I do love ski racing is it is the biggest challenge on the hill for me. I'm way more comfortable in some trees or in some moguls or in chest deep snow compared to on a nice icy course. And when you're on a firm hill, you really have to have each little movement down to a T. Right. And what, hold on. Well, well, why is that? You know, what, tell, tell people what, what the difference is between skiing in that deep soft stuff. And then what you have to do when you're skiing on the icy stuff, particularly in Europe, it's, you get lower, lower elevations, it's higher humidity. It gets to be pretty, pretty difficult over there. Pretty hard stuff. Well, when, when you are in good deep snow, it's basically like skiing through pillows. So when you do fall for one, ah, it's kind of fun to fall. Compared to an icy hill, it can be a little brutal when you have a crash. But I used to be an avid skateboarder all through middle school and all through high school. So kind of that surfy technique through deep snow is kind of something I strive for. And then, you know, back watching Warren Miller movies every year with my dad and mom, you know, I wanted to ski like the guys that were skiing the big mountains. So... So that part, that part came sort of naturally and intuitively to you based on, on skateboarding. But what do you have to do differently, like technique-wise or tactically when you're skiing on the hard stuff, when you're skiing on the ice in Europe? Oh, yeah. I want to say being super strong in your core and being able to stay balanced over your ski and getting that good pressure down into the ski and getting the ski to bend on the hard stuff compared to in soft snow you can kind of get away with leaning and being very surfer like in the snow but when you get on the firm conditions if you don't have your body position right your edge slips right out from under you and a lot of days i'll be like i should have brought a pair of ice skates up here not my skis that is it's a bit of a shock isn't it when you when you get to those first really hard conditions and then um you know, learning with my dad, we didn't really know what good body position was or, you know, how you really even do initiate a turn. It all just came for feel from me. So it's been a super learning process being on the team and breaking all that down through video analyzing and, you know, talking with my coaches and doing repeated runs down hard snow and learning what not just, you know, learning from the picture or the video or be able to tell someone what it is, but actually learning that feel for what is the proper technique. Do you have kind of like a trigger? Do you have anything that is sort of the technical thing that you 
that you do that you think, okay, I need to do this because that's the thing that sets me up to, to ski well. Do you have a trigger? Um, so for me, you know, being so young into racing still, it's still, you know, I could tell you a hundred triggers at the top of the course, but skiing is such a feel for me. And I can, you know, tell someone how to do something or, you know, do it specifically in training. But once you're in the course, you kind of have to clear your mind and focus ahead. So a big one for me is just vision down the hill, not staring at the tips of your skis the whole time, but actually, you know, focusing a couple of turns ahead and knowing what's coming at you and then be able to prepare for that. And that's, that is one of the things in skiing. It's so easy to have all the thoughts, everything that you're supposed to do, just rattling around in your brain, which really doesn't help you all that much. And so that one thing, just thinking, looking down the hill, looking way down the hill. I mean, sometimes it's looking two gates down the hill, but sometimes it's, it's really, you're looking through the periphery and trying to look the whole way down the hill. I've always thought that that kind of opens it up for you. It opens it up in a way. Is that something that you do when you're free skiing as yeah. well? Yeah, I do it really naturally free skiing. Like, especially if you're skiing through tight trees, you have to be looking ahead knowing I'm not doing this turn for this turn, but I'm doing this turn to set myself up for three turns down the hill. So I'll be able to see that line and being able to see that line in a race course is still a little foreign to me but um, I've gotten a lot better at it. And yeah, it's just a confidence thing I want to say. Well, it's pretty unforgiving when you're in the trees. If you make a mistake when you're in the trees, that doesn't work out so well. Where racing, you might be out of the course, but at least you're not wrapped around a tree. What's the, what's, what's the stuff that you do? I mean, like, how do you look at your, at your sport in terms of how has sport changed your life and, and how are you changing your life through sport? Um, I want to say, well, just skiing in general has given me freedom on the mountain. I feel very little disabled when I'm on the mountain. I'm more capable than the average skier I feel out there a lot of days. But um, getting into Alpine, it really challenges me on certain conditions and against people that have been they've learned up to ski on hard snow and learned to ski in race courses. So. Yeah. Are you making, are, do you feel like you're making a statement when you're skiing with your skiing? Do you, and, and if you are, what is your statement? What's the statement you're making? Um, I mean, I always started out saying, I just want to be the best skier I can be. And I say the best skier I can be because there's no reason anyone else can't be as good as me or better than me or ski the same terrain as me. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of falls and takes a lot of days on snow for sure. But I always wanted to beat the best guys in the world or at least challenge myself against the best guys in the world. And putting that on paper with times is a good way to actually say like, oh no, I'm not only a good avid free skier, but look, I can race too. And look, the numbers say I'm fast. So, <laughs> And the numbers don't lie. There, there, are no, there are no judges in ski racing. Yeah, for sure. So like just being on the national team, it's a privilege and an honor, but I always just wanted to beat everybody on the national team. It was never necessarily my goal or dream to be on the national team. I just wanted to be as good or better than them. What was it like when you beat your first national team member? 
Do you remember that? Was that something that it did take you working up to it? Or is it kind of like that first day where you were pretty good right off the bat? Oh, no. When I first came into Alpine racing, all of a sudden I went from feeling like the best skier on the mountain to feeling like, oh, dude, I'm terrible at this. So um, I want to say very, um, even to this day, to beat people that are really good or even come close to their times, you know, like Andrew Kirka, for instance, or to just get on the podium with someone like that is a super honor for me. And it's, it's kind of um, still hasn't really sunken into me because I'm just skiing to my best ability. It's not necessarily that my goal is to beat you, but I just want to ski as hard as I can and be the best I can. And, and anytime I've done really good, I've skied down the hill and, you know, came through the finish line going, man, I could have done a lot better than that. So to know that I can ski good, but I still know I have a lot of potential. You still have a lot of potential, but, but what was it, did, did it kind of open it up for you when you, when you beat, you know, the guys who are wearing the U S team jacket and you thought, okay, you know, I could be, I could be good at this or I could be better. Did it, did it open your mind up? Oh, I wanted to say I felt that way before I ever even raced, just watching them race. I was like, Oh, it's a fairly smooth hill. They just got to go left and right. Oh, I bet I can do that easy. <laughs> but then you said you, you really weren't that good at it when you first started. It wasn't as, as simple as you thought it was. Yeah. So, you know, like anything you want to be good at, it takes time and it takes work. So being able to recognize the work it takes and the commitment it takes is um, something I've always known, but it's still, you know, like being on the world cup, I can feel very, uh, timid or intimidated there still to this day so it's you know you just have to ski to the best of your ability and hope for a good outcome do you have any favorite places to compete to ski and compete because it might be two they might be two different answers right oh yeah for sure i mean my favorite places to ski are always back home where i learned at hoodoo and at mount bachelor and just ripping around with my dad but um, some of my favorite places to race here in the United States are Park City, of course, because I train there with the National Ability Center. So it's kind of a home hill for me. And I've had lots of days on those race hills, but also Winter Park, Colorado, because that's the place I did my very first Alpine race. So it's always a little sentimental to go back there. How did you get involved with the National Ability Center? When did that um you know, how, how did that happen? Because you were, you were in Oregon, National Ability Centers in Park City, Utah. How did you move from Oregon to Park City? How did that work? Oh, it's a, kind of a funny story because that's how I got involved in ski racing to start, actually. One day, me and my dad were just ripping around Mount Bachelor, having a great time, and we saw another sit skier, um, Kevin Bur or Carl Burnett is his name, who's an ex-U.S. Paralympic skier. And um, saw some U.S. ski team patches on him. And as another sit skier, we wanted to ski over to him and ask him who he was. And, oh, you race? Are you on the U.S. ski team? Because we see patches. And he was like, well, yes, yeah. so I actually compete on the U.S. national team. And he offered to do some runs with us. And I did a couple of runs with him. And that was still just my first year skiing. And he offered, he recommended I come to a race sometime and try it out. So the next season we went to Winter Park and never been on race skis before, never ran gates before and showed up there and everyone was super nice, especially the National Ability Center coaches. And 
they invited me to come out with them and train some. And from that point on, I've had a great relationship with the NAC out there and continue to improve that relationship. And it'll always be my home for racing and training for sure. So did you just, you just picked up and moved to Park City? Is that how it worked? Uh, well, the first couple of years I did about a couple of half season, came to a couple of races, trained for maybe a few days here and there. And I actually got in an argument with the old coaches back then about free skiing and racing. And, you know, they were kind of saying, if you're going to race, you need to fully commit to this and you shouldn't be out there in the trees and you could risk injury and then you wouldn't be able to compete for the rest of the season. And I remember that day I was about in tears and I told him, well, then I quit because I just want to ski. And if racing involves me not skiing the rest of the mountain, then I'm over it. So all my coaches now are super happy with me, me free skiing and think it's a great thing and thinks that all the other athletes should free ski more. It's I've always my, my thinking has always been that the mountain is the best teacher out there that you figure out your balance, you learn how to do things based on different conditions, based on whether it's steep, whether it's flat or whatever. So I'm a big fan of, of, of free skiing. And I feel like if I went back to my career, I probably would have been happy to have, to have free, I probably would have done better if I had free skied more and, and trained a little bit less. We do have, we do have a few a few messages from people. I don't know if you know any of these people. So, so one of them sounds like might, might be giving you a little bit of a hard time, but I'm guessing you can probably handle that. So we've got Robert, Robert Engel, who asks if Robert Plant is your dad. <laughs> uh, I know him personally, actually. So he lives up in Montana and skis at Big Sky. And he's one of the, he's a mono skier also. And he's definitely one of the best free skiers I know out there. So he's been slowly trying to get into racing, but um, he's not my dad, but I do get, I look like Robert Plant a lot. So, And I'm assuming, are you a fan too? Oh, of course. Yeah. I've been since, you know, my parents turned me on to Led Zeppelin and I still listen to him this day ever since, you know, probably freshman year in high school. <laughs> there you go. So Benjamin Sparrow also said, uh, bring home some gold, little brother. Oh, so actually Benjamin Sparrow was my very first instructor with Oregon Adaptive Sports. And he was the instructor with me that very first day. So I always feel like I owe skiing to him. You know, he gave me the opportunity and the flexibility to go out there and ski whatever I want. And still to this day, I always look forward to seeing him on the hill. It's funny how that works, isn't it? The people who kind of open that door for you because it's an entirely different world, isn't it? Now that that you probably hadn't even imagined before you started skiing. Oh no, if you were to ask me when I was a little kid if I ever thought I'd be a ski racer, I would have laughed, you know? But um, it's uh, it's been great, you know? It's the best job out there and I enjoy every day on the snow for sure. And you're traveling the world, getting getting to see the whole world as a ski racer too yeah i would never have thought you know i'd be not only traveling to europe and foreign countries but getting to ski there and getting to compete there is it's kind of you know a dream come true that i never had when i was a little kid yeah your world gets bigger funny enough isn't that a weird one sometimes that you have this accident that that seems like such a tragedy but sometimes your world gets bigger. Could you ever have imagined that 
after immediately after the accident? Oh, no, uh, you know, being such a athletic and outdoorsy kid, it was, you know, a dramatic thing for me to lose my legs. And I didn't know what, what, what the world would, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. So um, there was a long time where I would, you know, gave anything to be able to go back and change that. But now with all the, you know, with everywhere I've been and everything I've done, I would never change a thing. Yeah. And Kellyanne Shunk said, uh, said, I'm so crazy proud of you, my son. Yeah. So, so she's actually my mother there back home in Oregon. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know if this was in the vernacular, you know, or whatever, but, uh, but yeah, so, so, so your mom is, your mom is tuned in, which is awesome. What's it like competing when you're competing sort of like on the biggest stage or maybe not even on the biggest stage? How much do you think about the Roberts and the Kellys, I mean, obviously she'd be mom and, and Benjamin and these kind of people, do you bring them into the start with you? Oh, I for sure do. And that's part of, you know, the confidence for me, I want to say is not only being confident in my skiing, but wanting to, you know, make everyone that got me to the place I am proud. So being able to go out there and do my best, just not for myself, but do it for them. Does that make it harder or does it make it easier trying to perform for them? Oh, I want to say it does both, you know, <laughs> but it for sure makes it easier or, you know, I definitely feel it gives me that extra energy in the starting gate. And when I'm in the course to really push it and, you know, have confidence to push it and really go for a good solid run. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing. Do you uh, the first time you put on, you put on your uniform, like you put on your your U.S. team uniform where it said USA. Did did things feel different? Did they feel bigger? Did you feel more important? Did you feel more responsibility? Any of those things? Oh, I want to say all the above, but super surreal to you know not only represent my country but also be, you know the privilege of being on one of the best teams in the United States or the best team in the United States and one of the best teams in the world. Yeah. How much of it, how much of the history uh, has been important to you? Have you, have you looked into that? That was one of the things when I joined the team, I remember thinking, well, these guys just win all the time. Like when I, when I made my first Paralympic games, Jack Benedict, who was our, who was, who was the head of our team who had, lost his legs in Vietnam, was the first double amputee to continue in active service. And he was, he was a tough guy, no two ways about it. And he, we were at the meeting and he said, you made the team because you're here to win medals. And, and I felt that responsibility as a new member of the team, like, all right, this is it. I've got to live up to it. Do you look back to, to some of that history, to the people like Jack who, who's, who created it? in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, coming from such a free ski background, I really never followed much Alpine, you know, adaptive or able by Alpine racing at all. So I know a lot more and followed a lot more free skiers, but one, one of the people that have always been a role model to me kind of has been Tyler Walker and just racing against him a lot when I was right starting out and seeing how fast he skied and how technically he skied and wanting to strive to reach that same level. 
what do you what do you take from Tyler's because Tyler because you guys are have a similar kind of disability right and so so what do you take from what he does and try to incorporate it because watching Tyler I mean it's he does some things really well yeah I, I mean the first thing is if he can do it I can do it so watching him ski and watching the speed he does and you know we've trained together a bit before and He's always been there for, to answer questions or, you know, help motivate me. So, but yeah, just watching him do it and knowing if he can do it, there's no reason I can't do it. Do you get that same kind of angulation that, that Tyler gets? I mean, he was practically dragging his bucket on the ground the whole time he made his, he made a run. Oh, I can try to, but not on average, you know? <laughs> He's a good example. And that's the thing too, is if you're going to pick out somebody you want to copy, like pick out the best person to copy. And, and Tyler, Tyler did some, some mind blowing things. That's for sure. I remember I actually coached Tyler just for a brief moment at a couple of camps early on. And he might've shared a whole lot with you because I remember we were talking about turns and some of the technique and he just wanted to go into the park and go jump. Oh yeah. So that part we always got along really good with, <laughs> but yeah, no, just, um, watching him ski and I'm a super visual learner. So, and I always, even back when I free skied, I'd want to pick the best able-bodied skier out there on the hill and try to chase them down or follow the same line they can do or hit the same jump they can do. And so Tyler Walker has kind of been that guy in racing for me and watching him and wanting to ski just that same way. How did you figure out that you were a visual learner? Oh, I guess back in middle school, they told me that. <laughs> really? Back in middle yeah. school, they told you you were a visual learner. And is that with, with schooling too? Or is that sports stuff in, in middle school? Or how, what do you mean? Oh, I want to say all the above. Like I uh, went to a Waldorf school and mm -hmm. they're super hands-on and they're very indie, you know, kind of individually figuring out what works for each person. So back then they kind of, figured out that I'm a very visual learner from, you know, writing cursive to, you know, making pottery or from, you know, even speaking a foreign language. It's good for me to watch someone do it and then kind of copy them or at least use the pieces I can take from it and make them work for me. I've always thought that skiing, I mean, for me, skiing, visual learning was, was a huge part of it as well. And if you could follow somebody, like I'd, I'd try to follow the best person I could follow because then I didn't have to think about what I was trying to do. I just tried to copy what they were doing. And before you know it, suddenly you're doing it and then your muscles kind of know what to do. What do you do now if you know, you're rising to the point where you don't have Tyler around where even though you're younger in your career, a lot of people are, are looking up to you. How are you continuing to find the people to chase? Oh, well, still some of the better guys like Andrew Kirk on the team is always a pleasure to follow him down the hill and chase him down the hill or even one of my coaches, you know, and learning to more work that same turn shape into everything. But um, it, it can be challenging when you are kind of getting to the top of the field to still find those challenges or those challenging people to try to keep up with. Do you watch like, like regular world cup? Do you watch able-bodied skiers ski? Are you trying to learn from them as well? 
Oh, I always do. Yeah. You know, um, just, you know, Tommy Ford coming, he's another Mount Bachelor rider and watching him progress in his skiing has really, you know, it's uh, not only a privilege to watch and to know the guy, but to try to use that as encouragement to continue and to improve my skiing and to challenge myself with my own speed, technicality and abilities. Yeah. And Tommy's been, been skiing so well. I mean, I hope that he's, I have not read any more about, about how he's recovering from his fall at Adelboden, but I hope that he's doing well. Cause he's just, he's a pleasure to watch. He's got a, you know, a little bit of Ted Ligety in him and a little bit of a uh, little bit of Tommy Ford in him too. You know, I mean, he and Ted seem to do that, that huge angle, you know, just get the, get the ski up on edge so much, which is pretty amazing. We do have a, another message from Oregon adaptive sports. They're going, yeah, Ravi. And, uh, Judy Ann Lear, I've enjoyed watching your career. Bravo. So you've got, oh, you've got yeah. a ton of friends. We don't get this all the time where we're getting these direct messages coming in. So it's kind of cool. No, I want to say that's one of the great things about skiing is not just skiing, but actually building those relationships through places you go and meeting new people and having fun with them on and off the hill. Have you, have you looked at any places? Because it is... I always thought that skiing in some ways reminded me like being able to ski because you go and you're running, you know, you're basically skiing one trail. Like when you're racing, you travel, you're at the hotel, you go to the mountain, you ski that one trail for a week. And then, and maybe you get a couple of other trails in, but you don't get a ton of time. And you kind of think, this is a place I want to come back. I want to come back here. What are the places that have, as you've been traveling around, have you thought, I want to come back here and I want to spend some time and just have fun here. Oh, I want to say everywhere, really. But being in, you know, like Switzerland and in the Alps where you could ski, you know, 10 miles to another village and then ride up a gondola and ski another 10 miles to another village has always been like kind of a dream. So somewhere like that, where, you know, it's really just endless places and endless amounts you can ski. It would be super cool to go there and just explore. Any, any favorite foods as you've been traveling too? Cause that's part of it, right? You're going to eat while you're traveling. Oh, that's a hard one. Cause the more we travel and the more you eat foreign food, you just miss home cooking from back home. <laughs> So that's it. You can't wait to get home and, and eat. What do you eat when you get back home then? Oh, I mean, I'm a big fan of, of Mexican food for sure. Or, you know, a good homemade pizza, but I do really like, you know, anything good is why I always say I eat. So, I mean, I could be super happy with just a really good grilled cheese and tomato soup. <laughs> Fair enough. You did some other stuff as you were growing up. You did you did some car racing too, right? Yeah, so actually right, uh, right after I got in a wheelchair, I was really looking for something to do and not being able to skateboard and not feeling like I could do the sports I used to. Um, I've always been a big fan of cars and driving fast. So I got into sports car racing autocross with Emerald Empire Sports Car Club in Eugene and I used to drive a 86 Trans Am and that was great, you know, spend all week working on your car to go out and not only challenge yourself, but challenge your car. And, um, but it made the winters super long because when it's raining, especially in Oregon and cold out, you can't really go out and compete. So 
um, skiing's made the winters go by quick for me now. What was what was what were the tracks like when you were when you're doing the autocross? Did you kind of create your own tracks as like a parking lot, or were you on a on a regular racetrack? So autocross normally one member like a you know the board member or someone super experienced in the club will will draw out a, a track on a piece of paper and then they'll lay that track out in a large parking lot with cones and we'll do single car time trials through it. So kind of, you know, low speed, maybe no more than 60 miles an hour and super fast and super turny, very similar to slalom skiing. Well, that's, that was actually, you preempted my question. How much does driving a car fast translate into what you're doing now as a skier? Um, you know, the ability to choose line choice is the biggest part of it because skiing is so much of, you know, body position and driving a car, you're trying to more get the car in the right position, but um, having the reaction time for it and the ability to, you know, make all that happen at once and stay focused and look ahead. So a lot of the same aspects, but at the same time, you know, you can be a big guy and not very physically fit and still be a great car racer. <laughs> well, I'd imagine that there's also a part of it that is the nervousness of coming into a turn where you're, you're, you're driving the car, which I think happens in skiing as well, where you're thinking, okay, I really want to make a turn. I don't think I can make that turn at this speed, but you still have to wait for the turn to come up before you can start the turn. Is that something, do you feel like you have an advantage at all having, having done that in a car and at a potentially greater speed? Um, yeah, I want to say like my reaction time or ability to operate under speed, you know, while moving quickly, still being able to have a calm, you know, keeping your heart rate down and looking ahead and being prepared for what's coming next. And is there a Smokey and the Bandit thing going on with the Trans Am or not? Or Oh, well, it was, I don't know if you ever saw Knight Rider from the 80s. But uh, oh, okay. That so that was more Knight Rider. I had, but yeah, you know, Smokey and the Bandit, that's how I always wanted to drive, so. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what are you looking for from the rest of your season? And, and really, I mean, it's going to be, it's March of 2022 for Beijing, right? And so that's going to come up really quickly. What are you thinking about? What do you need to do right now? And then, and then what do you need to do beginning of next year kind of thing or in the interim in the off season to be really ready? And this is this going to be, I'm sorry if I'm asking a bad question. Is this going to be your first games? This will be my first games. So yeah. Okay. Um, I want to say with, you know, it coming up so fast, just trying to take full advantage of every opportunity we have, whether that's, you know, on hill training or in the gym, and then really, you know, for me, I'm still trying to put on a little more muscle weight and be strong and just, you know, get more confident in the gates and in race courses. And some of it, I would imagine being relatively new to racing, you don't necessarily know what the opportunities are. Is there, do you have to remind yourself just to be open to whatever is going to happen? Yeah, I want to say I rely on my coaches and my staff a lot for that, for guidance and what I should be doing and what is the proper thing and what is most efficient with the time we have. So I want to say I have a super open mind, like I've always had a super open mind from the very first day skiing with my dad. So falling back on that, you know, 
whatever you say, if you say it's the best, then I'm going to do my best to do it. You've got a, you've got a bit of a Zen kind of mentality. This, I assume this is something that's kind of been who you are throughout your whole life. Is that true? Oh, I suppose so. You know, I always want to say, you know, make the best of things, you know, have high hopes and low expectations and not beat yourself up if things don't go as planned. With that kind of a mentality, though, do you have any expectations as you look forward to Beijing? Are you able to put those kinds of goals to say, I want to be on the podium? Or can, or do you keep it in the, I want to put my best effort forward? Oh, I want to say the end goal is to definitely not only be on the podium, but to be standing in the middle of the podium and hopefully in every event. But at the same time, there's some really good skiers out there. So all I can do is just do my best, work hard, and hopefully be able to ski to my full potential those days. Who are the skiers that you consider to be your biggest, your biggest competition? Um, I mean, all the skiers from the Netherlands right now, they have a few uh, double above knee amputees and they're really good skiers and they're fast skiers. And Japan has a couple of skiers that are really technically sound and slalom. So at the same time, you know, just Andrew Kirka on my team there, he's still a ripping fast skier in every run. So, um, you know, not so much focus on one person for my competition, but I'll try to just focus on myself and what I can do better in it. Well, yeah, no, I think that that's, I think that that's true, but it's kind of an interesting one to think, how is this guy, how are the guys in Japan competing? You know, which is, which is also interesting just to see, like there's not a huge, huge element of Dutch skiing in, you know, in the World Cup. I mean, there are a couple of, couple of people, one on, on, on the men's side, one on the women's side, but, but not a ton on the World Cup where they have a super strong team. But I would imagine for you, it's also kind of nice to have a guy like Kirka and you're training and you know that your training takes on a little bit more purpose because you see this guy right next to you and you go, okay, well, he's one of the guys setting the standard. I need to, <laughs> it's a race. I know it's training, but it's still a race. Is that, is that the way you look at it? Oh, for sure. Like every day, not only in training, but just, you know, in every race, my goal is always to beat my own teammates, whether they're the stand-up guys or if it's Kirk and the Sitski. But uh, yeah, if I can get, you know, closer to their times or beat their times, it gives me, you know, a better feeling of confidence if I was at a World Cup race. And if he skied a really good line and a good fast run and I get close to it, I'm like, all right, so that's more what needs to be done out there on the World Cup and especially at the games. Well, yeah, because it's kind of hard, right? Because you need a bit of that feedback in terms of whether what you're doing, you know, you're doing whatever you're doing and is, is that benefiting you? Are you getting faster or is it not? What do you, you know, as you, as you look at it, are you seizing that kind of an opportunity with, you know, like for me, when I skied, I skied against some of the best guys in the world. And I knew that if I was there with them, it was kind of nice to go to go race against the other people because because I knew I was hanging there with the, with the best people already. I'd always I was I was competition ready and looking at a year like this, 
is it is it Kirka that you're looking at? Are there are there other are there other standards that you create as a bit of a barometer to tell you whether you're ready or not? Um, you know, with him being the you know the other men sit skier on the team right now, and him also have gone to the winner or gone to the Paralympics and won medals there. Yeah, gold he's and my, silver, right? Yeah. He's my good visual for each day in training and each day here at the races with the small fields. So I want to say, you know, the goal is to be, you know, way faster than him, but. <laughs> but he makes it a little bit hard to be way faster than him, right? Yeah, so he sets a good pace at each day of training for sure. So another message from uh, Oregon Adaptive Sports, they said, uh, we're so proud of you, Ravi, and can't wait to tell how many of the newer athletes are looking up to you, is basically what they're saying. That uh, how, does, how does that change it for you? Does that change some of the perspective? Like when, when the new athletes are looking up or when your instructors are saying, this is a guy, we had him just a few years ago and look at where he is now. What does that do for you? Um, it makes me want to keep working as hard as I can every day and keep progressing in my own skiing. So, you know, showing them that there's, you know, an endless amount of possibilities in skiing and in life in general, no matter what path you take, whether it's skiing or if you choose to do something else in life, you know, work hard and don't feel that there's any limit to it. That's awesome. Let's get you out on this one. What's what, what else are you looking at? You know, I mean, your ski racing, is this taking all of your focus right now? Or is there something else in your life that, that you're building as well? Oh, I want to say there's always, you know, lots of things in life. But ski racing definitely feels like it takes up every second of my day. And to be a good athlete and to really push forward to be one of the best in the world, you kind of have to be 100% focused. But there's all the way from family time and, you know, home projects and, you know, from working on old cars to, you know, having relationships. So it can definitely make everything in life a little hard, but it's uh, what it takes to definitely be the best in the world is having that hundred percent focus on it. What do you think that I, I lied to you? I'm going to ask you one more question. What do you think that focus will do for you? with the rest of your life once you decide to move on from ski racing? Well, I want to say in general, it's kind of made me feel like I've grown up as a, you know, I became an adult more now and not only skiing for fun, but now it's actually work for me. And, you know, it matters how well I ski each day. So it gives me that more professionalism. And, um, you know, I want to say it really makes me actually put in the hard work not just talk the hard work so it's you know ski racing in general has made me you know feel like i'm growing up there you go and so best of luck as you prepare for beijing as you continue to have great day after great day and try to put yourself out there as much ravi it's been a pleasure having you here it's been a pleasure to hear all of your support from from your community as well Oh, for sure. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me. It's been an honor. So hopefully I'll see you on the mountain soon. That is the plan. Hopefully we'll cross our fingers. Sounds good. All my best and ski fast. Thanks, Thanks. Robbie. Have a good day. Yeah. Bye.